Hello, my name is Kevin Paul and this is Captured Society, a story about how a group of London black taxi drivers took on an organisation that had been captured by a select few and how they brought about the first ever co-op special meeting to be called by the FCA. This podcast will allow people from the group to tell their tale and why it was so important to the taxi trade, co-ops in general and themselves. I'm joined by Anthony Minas, who's driven a London cab for 12 years, Chris Allen, who's been a London cab driver for 17 years, John Kite, who's the veteran of the group today, who's driven a cab for 29 years, and Jimmy Dorian, who has 21 years' experience driving a London black cab. I myself have been a cab driver for six years, and we were all part of the group that contained over 120 members with the aim of restoring proper democratic control to the Licensed Taxi Drivers Association, the LTDA. Welcome to all of you. Let's start at the beginning, and uh, we'll start with Anthony. What caused us to approach the FCA in the first place, Anthony? Well, it's quite quite a long story, really. I mean, without going through the historical reasons why, which we could be here for quite some time to do that, I'll try and narrow it down as much as I can, as much as possible. Um, I think the main point of us approaching the FCA, well, there's a, there was a total breakdown of communication with the incumbents who were the Council of Management at the LTDA. Every aspect or every approach we made to try and keep in line with the rules, time after time that, that communication broke down, which eventually led us, and it didn't happen overnight. This was something that happened over the space of the last eight years. Mm. So it weren't for the want of trying to try and st- you know, build that communication with the Council of Management, but it was no good. So after a culmination of evidence built up over that period of time, I mean, I was the branch chairman as well, so I was no stranger to the way the society works. We felt like we had nowhere else to go because the only people that could address the evidence that we did have was the Council of Management. And as far as I'm concerned, Turkeys don't vote for Christmas. So we built up evidence. Like I said, that come at quite some really tough work, you know, with cab drivers, we're full-time, we've got families as well. So it was really tough. But, you know, we were sure that we could take this evidence to the authorities and that's what we did. Yeah, there was a, a culmination really in, in the approach to the council management where they almost said to us, you know, if you don't like it, yes. go and see the authorities. And I think that was, that was an actual quote yeah. used on a member who did actually, in fairness bring his findings, and was invited, to be fair. He was invited to bring his findings when the branches were initially suspended. And as we know, branches are the conduit. They're the place where you harvest ideas. Four members, they were closed down. The member in question went to see the council management. And when all was said and done and finished, he was told by a senior member of council to go and see the correct authorities. So we did hang on to that. It took quite some time to actually get to the time that we spoke to the FCA, yeah. but we did h- hang on to that and eventually we did. It did take us possibly about six months to get the attention of the FCA. Yes. Um, both yourself and me, we, we were emailing them, calling them, yes. um, sending them evidence mm-hmm. and eventually they did contact us. Yes. I'm trying to think of the actual occasion. I think it was around the suspension of the branch was when they finally actually said, oh, okay, maybe there's something here that we need to look at. And they invited us 
to the FCA office, right? To the FCA office. Um, I'm guessing we're going to talk about how we, you know, or why we got specialist co-op yeah. lawyers involved. Yeah. But we did go with those lawyers at the time. Um, but yeah, that was the first, you know, meeting that we got to ex- explain to them what we'd sent to them, mm. our evidence. Mm. And it was it was a verbal, you know, and a physical meeting. Yeah, because we we sort of had our own evidence, but we yes. did decide to get some solicitors involved. And we managed to find um, Anthony Collins solicitors who, after much research, became very interested in the case. Yeah, I mean, we are just cab drivers. Um, even though we was 100% sure that we, you know, that, that there was rule breakages, fabrication of rules, um, we needed lawyers to actually tell us what we can do with, with that. We needed lawyers who had a relationship with the FCA, who knew the legislation, who knew which, you know, in particular, what powers the FCA have got. And I think it was a good move. It paid off. And eventually that, you know, the communication that we did have went on and on and on. So without lawyers, I think the communication with the FCA would have been really tough, to be honest. Yeah, and there was an element of doubt for me personally as to whether we were so close to it that maybe we were not seeing it for something. Yes. And the solicitors actually validated yeah. everything that we thought was going on. Yeah. And and if I remember correctly, you know, Cliff came to us and said, the association's been captured. That's when we first heard the word captured. For us, it was a, a relief that, you know, we weren't going mad. We weren't imagining what was going on at the LTDA. And... You know, because sometimes when you get too close to something, you generally see it for a very narrow prism. Yes. But I think I, I think we you know we did actually yeah. get that validation. Absolutely. And we had the meeting. They seemed to be able to suggest that they wanted to flex their muscles and bring the LTDA into line. But what I think the SCA didn't realise was just how arrogant yes. the council of management were. Yeah. Um. And they, they hit brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. Yes. And, and nothing was changing, essentially. Nothing changed. No, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, the time that it took... How long did the whole process take? Uh, 2019, it actually started. We started yeah. the process with the, with the FCA. Um, the application, that was, with the FCA. And I think it finished in 2022. So you're probably talking about three years in total of, you know... Uh, and. That wasn't something that was just every six months. It was continual. Basically, the problems that we that came up was because of the Council of Management. Chris, uh, Jimmy and John, what, what were your thoughts about what was as members? Because I, I was there for only a couple of years before I sort of saw what was going on and, and, and didn't really sit well with me. How, how were you guys feeling at the time, Chris? I was frustrated. Um... I've been attending branch meetings and it's becoming apparent that every request we made to the council, every approach we made was just getting thrown back in our faces. And then I suppose things escalated beyond that because it ended in them actually trying to do rule changes um, outside of the rule book, trying to enforce their will on us, I suppose, as the members. Yeah, there was one poignant moment at, at the AGM where they try to essentially just capture the society in all but name. 
where they had full control over the rule book, if I if I remember correctly. Jimmy, you you remember for the LTDA for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I was six to seventeen years. Yeah. Seventeen years. What did you think was going on at the LTDA? Well, in the early days, you know, you go back to a time around 2016, 2017, when the trade was on its knees. You know, Uber had arrived in town. Mm. We as members of a society looked to our organisation to do something, to act. Members started getting engaged with the association, seeing what they were doing, and it seemed that at every turn, the members were being stonewalled by the council of management, who were the ruling executive of the LTDA. Mm. Now, no matter what members seem to do, propose great ideas, go out, do work, investigate this, investigate that, the council of management turned their backs. It was as though there's somewhere in guidance where it says, you know, they, they adopted a policy of sort of confrontation and obstruction rather than engagement, which is the way it should be. That, you know, everyone was a concerned member. Everyone's livelihood was at stake. And you had this ruling elite up at Woodfield Road at the time, the council of management, who were all who weren't relying on a wage from a driving a taxi. They're well remunerated through the subs, and the working drivers and we we're all concerned members. We were getting obstructed at what we were proposing, so members began to look in how the actual association should be run. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because. Initially, everyone was concerned about the trade. Yeah. And then, ultimately, it became about, we were concerned about the Licensed Taxi Drivers Association. Yeah, well, when you look, if you look into the reasons why the LTDA was formed, why it broke from the T&G way back in the day, they were set up specifically to look after taxi drivers. And it's in the objects of the society, the way the society should be run, what they should do. They're entrusted by the members financially to do a job. They're paid to do a job by the members, and that is to secure and look after their livelihood. And it seemed to, like the various members, that they weren't doing that. They were just turning their backs. John? The LTDA, as, as a cooperative, should be promoting member participation. I'll just read a, a quick line from... It's the first line in the... Uh, Culp's UK guidance, it says, at the heart of the cooperative model is the idea of member participation. That's the very first line. But it appeared to me that rather than trying to encourage members to participate, uh, it was more of a member apathy that was encouraged. How many people were coming to branch meetings before drivers started to get organised? How many people were turning up at Barnsley? It was one man and his dog, wasn't it? it was yeah, there wasn't many at all. Yeah. Uh, it, Half it a dozen? Probably the same amount that's turning up right now. Right now being the five. last branch meeting yes. that's taken place. Which five, was? six? Five. Five, five, five actual five, members. Five. Yeah. So Couple it's gone back. Members, yeah. It's gone back to initially how it was. And also, I think it's important to mention during that period of time that you were talking about, Jim, that it, become, it was an in-house council culture. That anyone spoke out instead of listening, the ideology that came from the Council of Management was get rid of them, yeah. get rid of them. So it was a council culture amongst our own organisation. How many members were expelled from our group, approximately? 25 in total, 25 members were expelled. I think it was around that figure, wasn't it, 20? I might be wrong, you know, approximately 25. Wow. Yeah. So a, a big amount. 
And ju- just, sorry, just to add there with the expulsions while we're on that subject, is um, those those members were expelled for activities on social media, basically retweeting posts from third parties, which the LTDA didn't agree with. Uh, in the actual meeting, the special meeting, the general secretary said those members were expelled for violent conduct. So that wasn't true? That wasn't true. He's, he's, com- he's continually, down the years, used that phrase, isn't he, violent? But there's no proof. No one was expelled for violent it was all about, as John said, posting on social media. I think one of the charges laid against one of the lads was retweeting uh, a branch meeting. They held that up as evidence of acting against the interests of the LTDA. Now, in guidance, it encourages members to be engaged, active, and to use social media. That's what the members were doing. And yet, the council of management didn't seem to understand what their obligations were and how the society should be run in accordance with the Cooperatives Act. Yeah. Chris? Yeah, just going back to the uh, guys who were expelled, most of them had had attended five branch meetings, so they they were, you needed to attend six branch meetings to stand for a position on the, uh, uh, a a branch position, which then, if you, once you serve a year on the branch, you could stand for a council position. Yeah which have elections every three years. Yeah. So most of the guys who were actually expelled were on the verge of, be, of, of actually attending enough meetings to stand for branch positions. Yeah, you, you could call that a coincidence, couldn't you? You could. Well, you got to look at it. The common denominator amongst all those that were expelled was they were all regular branch attendees, every single one, bar none. Mm. And they would know that because yeah. they had the branch had attendance the sheets. Yes. So we spoke to the FCA. Yes. We convinced the FCA that there was something to be looked at. Yes. But then we had to do something else, didn't we, as, as a group? We had to effectively call what they call a Section 106. Yes. Why did we trigger that Section 106? Well, I think the important thing, and I think that that is probably written in neon lights in the FCA legislation is that there couldn't have been no malicious motives so that's what they have to establish before they take on your application Mm -hmm. that's what they decide at the end and we pass the test so that that was the beginning of triggering the 106 it wasn't necessarily the end of triggering the 106 because it it came up if you remember kev the the amount of work that had to go in yeah anything stand out in your mind in particular I just remember having to convince, like you said, that there was no malicious motive, which, you know, we, we spent many an evening, not just yourself and I, but the, the group as a yes. general, going through paperwork and establishing timelines yes. and behaviours yes. for the events which we used as justification to bring the 106. Yes. You know, one in particular, the the rule changes to um, the association that affected how members actually had control of the association. Yes. And there were many occasions where, obviously, we'd have to deal with the FCA through phone calls and correspondence with Cliff, and then uh, at some point David Alcock joined in. Yes, very good. And, you know, the four of us working alongside the group in general 
where everyone's ideas um, and, and, and also just to point out that, that yourself and I, we were appointed as representatives to the group by consensus. Yes. It, it wasn't it wasn't anything other than that for, for the reason that we were there. And, and we had to spend um, a vast amount of time proving to the FCA that there was nothing malicious, which they eventually accepted to be true. Um, and then I think we kind of hit a brick wall there. Yes. And, and that brick wall was that the FCA, for some reason that no one really can explain in this no. room, they said, we want to bring the LTDA into the conversation. Yes. Um, for me personally, that was the biggest mistake that they made. I think at one stage, I can't remember the month, they invited both us and the incumbents, which is the comm, to sit around and it was sort of a mediation atmosphere where I think that they was hoping that we'd leave that meeting and come out as friends and that the FCA wouldn't have to have the special meeting at all and we'd all everything would go along, everything could be rosy and that just wasn't the case. We never got to that stage and I was quite that you know, I'll I'll point out that that's one of the things that I think that the FCA got completely wrong. Yeah, I, um, I'd agree with you. I think that'll become quite clear to people listening that it was actually a really, really bad mistake from the FCA. Why do you think the FCA made a mistake there? What was your reasoning behind that? Um, because the evidence that we'd sent them, I think it was really clear to them that there was no, there was a total breakdown of communication and that was not going to be resolved Yeah, at any cost, really. There needed to be some form of action and we knew as applicants that at the end of it, it would all our game plan was always to let the members decide. Yes. We had our own proposals, but the bottom line was always going to come down to the members. So Yes, that was vitally important to us yes. as a group, wasn't it? Yes. The group weren't there to impose their wishes upon the membership. No. It was always to bring it to a point where we could say to the membership as a whole, this is how we think the association could be run for the better. Yes. And it would be down to the membership as a whole to, to say yes or no to that. But then the FCA, the FCA decided to say, well, we're going to have two competing groups of ideas. Well, I think, I think the, uh, before that, I think they went through two or three different versions. I think that it's important to point out to people listening the reason why the FCA had to create the special meeting from their, themselves, really, because what usually happens is when people trigger a special meeting, what the FCA usually do is, is pick up the society's rule book, in our case the LTDA, and use that rule book to actually bring the special meeting to the members. Yeah. But that couldn't be done. And the only reason why it couldn't be done was was because the the LTDA com ruined the rule book. There was no place for, for motions, proposals. It, the, the, yeah. the, the rules had been messed about with so much by the com that the FCA themselves couldn't even have a special meeting through our rule book. Now, that for me is enough to tell everyone listening that what the com had been up to. Yeah. There's your illustration. It's there. John. Yeah, just just to add to that, when talking about the rule book and the uh, applying for the 106, now applying for the 106 was for us a last resort. There is a mechanism within the rule book 
just to explain to people, to call our own special meeting, yeah? But I think it was 2010, the rule was changed for some obscure reason, it's never been explained, but that rule was changed. And the quorum for that, to call a special meeting, was increased from 10% of the membership to 51%. 51% is absolutely unheard of in any other cult. Yes. It's, it just isn't done. And so, yes, there was a mechanism for us to call a special meeting, but it was impossible. So that's why we had to take the 106, take the 106 and go with the FCA, just to, just to point that out. But no one has ever been able to explain to me or anyone here why they decided to change that rule. Just that one rule in particular. It wasn't a complete overhaul of the rule book at the time. It was one rule which took power away from the membership and into the hands of the a Council massive, of Management. A massive rule change. Just on that point of the rule change to 51%, according to the rule book, when that rule was changed, it had to be voted on by the members, by the branches. But I just don't understand how any member would vote to make things more difficult, less democratic. Yeah, and at the time, as, as we've just said, there were half a dozen people turning up speaking on, on behalf of 10,000 people. Yes. You'd have to question whether that went through due process, that rule change. The FCA, as an organisation, you would think the Financial Conduct Authority, hmm, that sounds pretty powerful. But when it comes to co-ops, they are not a regulator. No. They are the registrar. And, and their powers are not as strong as they would be if they were a regulator. No. Um, and I think we had to get used to that fact. Yes. I think we're still getting used to that fact now, actually, that it's very difficult than, you know, with a regulator, they're there to oversee and basically tell you what the rules are and what you're doing wrong and what you're doing right. But in our case, that personally, I think that the FCA need more powers. I don't think some of the, uh, in particular, I don't think the Section 106 works, and I think that's being proven now, personally. Mm -hmm. um, but it took us quite some time to actually get used to that. And and I think it was a new experience for them as well, having to deal with this special meeting. I think they was learning as they was going along, so I think that was time-consuming as well. Am I right in thinking that this was the first special meeting ever called? I believe it was. As far as we know, it was the first special meeting yes. in, in the last 10 years at least. In the last 10 Mr. years. Mr Adderley, who's, who's in charge of the mutuals up at the FCA there, he's been there 10 years and this is the first time he's ever had to deal with this. But when they call, when they call that, Kev, when they... Uh, Mr Adley, in the in a co-op interview he gave recently, January 23, to co-op news, he's put in the calling of a Section 106 is a type of sanction... It's a recognition. It's not just like done willy nilly because we called it. It's a sanction because the FCA have gone in. They've looked at the society, and according to their to them, and looking at principles, it's not been run in accordance to legislation or to keep the society registered as a bona fide cooperative. It's a type of sanction. They've come in. They've said this society isn't been run properly. We need to change the rules, change the rule book, so the members do have democratic control. This is what the Section 106 was there to put in, to restore democratic member control, which is what, and you probably remember, 
in, back in the early days, Mr. Adley said democratic member control isn't in place at the LTDA, and that is the the aim of the Section 106 and the aim of the whole process yeah. was to restore democratic member control. I think that says a lot, doesn't it? I think that says a lot about our cause and as to whether we were right or wrong to, to, to go through it. Yeah. The Com tried to paint us as a group of agitators and troublemakers and people that sought to take over the society, I believe. Yes, that was the accusation. Yeah, and I think the one thing that we demonstrated, not only to ourselves, you know, we had the support of Anthony Collins solicitors, the Financial Conduct Authority, we had over 120 members, which at the time, in probably will be forever, the largest amount of members who were taking part in the actual running of the LTDA. You know, I think we proved that, that we were right and just, and, and the report, which we will discuss in, in a few moments, that was written by the FCA, will prove to people listening that our intention was nothing other than restoring the control back into the hands of the members. Yeah, as Anthony said earlier, again, with the granting, when the FCA come and look, looked in at the society, in order to grant the Section 106, you have to fulfil certain criteria. And as Anthony said, no malicious motive, but also there had to be good reason. Yeah. So when the FCA looked at the society, they had to feel there was good reason to call this the special meeting. And we fulfilled that criteria and that is why the FCA proceeded with calling Section 106 Special General Meeting. Why do you think, Jim, that they asked the LTDA to get involved? The FCA, to me, see, see themselves as sort of a mediator. It was like they're almost doing marriage guidance. They were trying to bring the discon you know, the the members, us, the applicants who had who could see what was wrong with the society and wanted it changed, and to bring the LTDA to the to the table. You know, bringing them into the table might have show, uh, threatened them as a type of threat. You know, we could, because the FCA have got the power to deregister the LTDA. So it might have shown, it, they might have been trying to put the wind up them. Yeah. Say, look, you've got to reform, you've got to listen to the members, you've got to operate as a, as a society should under the legislation. You need to fulfil the certain the criteria as what's, you know, when you sign... Originally, when you sign up, you've got to agree to be a bona fide cooperative. Every year, you've got to agree to keep on doing them act as a bona fide cooperative. And this is what the LTDA, through the Act, try to enforce. Just going back to that, it was the the FCA have said that we'd shown good calls, we had no malicious motives. Then they went to the LTDA for com for their comments on it. Yeah. Obviously, the LTDA have gone back to the FCA and said whatever they've said to them. And uh, it was at that point that the FCA had turned around and said, we are now minded to call the special meeting. So they knew there was a problem. Because they have spoken with the LTDA in, in the response they're, to they're, our... They've, they've taken both parties on board. They've taken the comments from our, our side and the LTDA side, and they were still minded to call a special meeting. So there was obviously a problem there. And then maybe just as, as a little add-on to that, John, sorry. When they've looked into it as well, they've seen the way that the LTD have tried to manipulate, make rule amendments. And it says it in the directed cost directives 
that was one of the reasons why they awarded us the cost and called the special general meeting because of the way the LTDA council and management were behaving in trying to amend the rule book without proper consultation with the members and disenfranchising most of the members. I'm going to ask everyone the same question here and, and Chris, maybe I'll start with you. What do you think the FCA got wrong in this process? I think they didn't really know what they were doing. I think they were definitely inexperienced. And I think the biggest mistake was inviting the council management to to actually put forward proposals for the meeting. The, the 106 was the members' meeting. We called it. And I really don't understand why they then went to the council management and allowed them to put forward proposals. Well, what happened, if I remember correctly, is that at some point they granted us a meeting and then they actually said, actually, the meeting's our meeting. Yes, and correct. It, and it wasn't a... At that point, it didn't become a members section 106. Yeah, it became an, F- an FCA meeting. And it became an FCA 106. And through the attempts to mediate with us and and the LTDA, which, which, which was never going to work, I mean, that meeting that we went to was about as bad as it could get, really, in terms of two sides opposite each other. Yes. Um trying to argue their case, uh, you know, it, it, it got quite noisy in there, shall we say, Yeah. at some points, to, to the point where both our solicitors were telling each other to be quiet yeah. <laughs> because we were saying things. You know, it was getting, you know, quite aggressive, frankly, and I think the FCA then thought, well, we'll call the meeting and we'll run it in the way that they ran it, which, which as we all know, and, and the, obviously maybe the people listening don't, which they then decided to put two... I, I, well, actually, the, the LTDA quite obviously knew that the rule book wasn't working because they admitted as much for yes. a start because yeah. they said, well, the rule book is written in the 70s when it was a trade union, blah, 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 and we all know that the rule book wasn't written on the basis of a trade union rule book. It was written on the basis of a co-op rule book. Um, but they were, they were, LTDA were keen to latch on to anything that essentially absconded them any responsibility. Yes. So the SCA decided that they would ask both sides of the table to put forward amendments to the rule book and then put it out to the membership, which, which maybe we'll discuss Broadly, and I think this was their biggest mistake, and, and and I think Chris, what you said in terms of they didn't know what they were doing, I think that's why they ended up doing that. But but also they allowed the council to present their proposals as the council. Yes. Whereas we whereas we presented as a group of members, it should have been two groups of members, yeah. two nondescript. But by letting them represent as a council, it gave them gravitas to them to the. To the wider membership who don't understand what the LTD actually is, are you cooperative and is meant to be member controlled? Because when I, when I joined the association, I didn't know it was a cooperative. I wasn't encouraged to go to branch meetings. I didn't know they existed. Personally, I think one of the things that kept me driven to actually get this special meeting up and running was to actually inform the members 
why this meeting was actually called in the first place. We wanted our evidence shown. We wanted more shown to the members. And when you look at the final, what do we call that? The final report. The report. The final yeah. report by yeah. the FCA after the fact, after the vote. We wanted that to be shown to them before. It was always our intention to actually show the members the evidence that we'd built up, the fabrication of some documents. I don't want to bore everyone with all the information that we had because it does go on and on, but the FCA did have it. We wanted members to be shown that first to make their own mind up for them to decide what, how strong they thought the punishment should be of the people that we was accusing. But flip it on its side, the people that we were accusing ended up on a level playing field with us. And I think that's what they got wrong. And I think if anyone reads the final report, I don't think they would come up with any other, you know, I think they'd be fully on board with what I'm saying here. Yeah, it's damning, isn't it? It's damning. It's damning. John, what do you think the uh, FCA got wrong in this process? They got many things wrong, Kev, as, as we know. But... Um, during the process, there was a lot of to and fro, and on our part and the LTDA's part, we weren't happy with stuff, they weren't happy with stuff, and it was backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And I think the FCA, in the end, put a stop to it, said, right, now this is it. Now, this is this is the final agenda, take it or leave it. And it was, in the end, it was rushed. It, as Anthony said, it had been going on for three years. You know, taking COVID and other situations into account, but it, this this had drawn drawn on and on and on, and I think they just had enough and they wanted it off the table, and by doing that, it was rushed, and it wasn't as it should be. I'll, I'll just give I'll just give you a, a quick example. Um, everyone received letters from us and from from the LTDA. Uh, the LTDA's letter said that. Our group was against one man, one vote, and our proposals were undemocratic. Um, and that that state, those statements were allowed to go out to the uh, to the membership. Uh, if we look now at the FCA's final summary, it says that the LTDA Com have said that the applicants' proposals uh, were against one man, one vote and were undemocratic. And then it says, neither of these statements are accurate. So what my question would be, if they're not accurate, why was they allowed to go forward to the members? And it's little things like that, what they got wrong. I'll come back to that in a second. Jimmy, sorry, just what, have you got a... Uh, we've, I think we've established that they got many things wrong. Yeah. Let's just start with one. I think they trusted, or they believed, they kind of believed that they were dealing with people who believed in the cooperative and the cooperative principles. When you they, mean the LTDA? They, the, the LTDA, yeah. They the FCA that. thought, you know, there was legislation in place, the rule book was in place. They were dealing with reasonable, rational people who would have a good discussion, turn the society around, and bring it into the way it should be. But they weren't, as you know, as we've exampled earlier on. Time and time again, they stonewall people 
didn't want to know, obstructed, turned people away. And as John just said there, you know, it, the FCA let through so much. And the way that the LTDA acted, even when they were in the process of the Section 106, should have set alarm bells ringing with the FCA that they're not going to act in a manner that they should do. During Even during this process, they still try to hoodwink the FCA by using COVID legislation to get around the rule book and to get around the, the 106. The FCA are running a process for a 106 and they're still trying to circumvent it and bring in the, the change then so they can say, the rules in place, we don't need you anymore. Yeah, that's right, because they called a special meeting while COVID was on yeah. to force through again a rule change, yeah. which was rejected and for for the second or third time? Maybe the third time, but again, using second. using the suburban branch that this in, that was only like 7% of the membership. Yeah. And the FCA had already warned and spoke about how they the LTDA disenfranchised them, disenfranchised uh, the majority of the members earlier on in the process by not allowing them that rule change through when they first tried to do it. Because the FCA could see that the LTDA, the COM, were disenfranchising the members and manipulating the situation for their own advantage and to entrench themselves. Yeah, it was that rule change that they had tried for the second time. They had got rejected on the first time. Yeah. That was one of the alarm bells that they finally accepted our 106 on, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Chris, do you, do you want to add anything to no, that? I was going to say, I think also with that rule change that had been rejected, it was put through the suburban branch whilst the central branch, which was 93% of the membership... Yeah, I think more than that. That branch more. was suspended. So That's correct, they yeah. pushed a rule change through once 93% of the members had no say. And the FCA referenced that, didn't they? They did, yes. They referenced that. To be fair to the FCA there, that, that's the reason they, they rejected the, uh, the raw amendment, simply because uh, yeah, the majority it of does the members say in the In the cost directives, it does say that the way they tried to manipulate rule amendments was, one of the re was a reason for calling the Section 106 special meeting. Do we think that the FCA held the COM to account? No, not in the correct order anyway. No, not at all, no. No, but I mean, what what could they do? What what can the FCA do? As you and Anthony spoke about earlier, mm. they are, they're a registrar. The, the, the regulation for the FCA comes through the Act. Yeah. The FCA can only draw upon the Act, you know, the, the, the Co-ops Act 2014, to... Uh, regulate the society, and I think, as Andy said, it's, it's very it's, you know the act is weak. Well, I, I personally, I, I don't want to be you know I don't want to keep criticising the FCA because I think they was, I think we did have the same narrative in as much as that we the final decision would always come down to the members. I think that that that's how we started off. That's how you know the path that we at the end of it. That's where we saw it being, but I don't think. Um, if you're going to ask me whether they was held to account, they was held to account once the vote had been done. And that was no good, really, because the decision was already made from the members. I know that their think way of thinking was that once 
the new rules have been brought in, whether it was ours or the council or management, then that would give the members enough power and us as a, as a membership on our own to sort out whether we want to do something such extreme as hold the come to account and, and remove people that had acted in the way that they did with these rule changes. Looking beyond the the mistakes that we think that the FCA got wrong, let's, let's bring it up to the actual vote itself. Finally, after the, the negotiations with the FCA on the terms of the meeting, the layout of the meeting, the rule changes that we sought to, to put in place, which we considered would have given the membership full control of the organisation um, of the LTDA. Do we want to talk about the LTDA's rule changes or should we just focus on ourselves here? I think we should talk about the LTDA's rule changes, definitely, because and how effective they are and how far they go to restoring democratic member control. Okay, well, John, do you want to explain a bit about that? Right, well, the um, the LTDA have put, put their proposals forward. What we've got to ask ourselves is what set of proposals best achieves democratic member control in the association. Now, our proposals, there was no caveats to it at all. We supported one man, one vote in certain... Not every not every motion or any amendment has to go out to the branch, uh, out to the members. If the council agree to it, then it, it could just go forward as is. If if not, then it all goes out of one one man, one vote. We agree with that. Now, with regards to the council's rule amendments, if if I as an individual want to put and I did bring this up at the branch meeting last week. If I if I want to bring forward a motion for a rule amendment, I have to have now a hundred signatures on a petition. So maybe four or five years ago, Anthony, when you was chairman, I might have been able to go to a branch meeting where there was a hundred plus members and say, "Look, I've got I've got this amendment. Does anyone want to sign?" And I I could have probably got those hundred signatures on the night. Last week I went there, as I said, there was five members there. So I might have got five signatures. So now I've got to get another 95 signatures just to put that forward to the Council of Management. But the kicker is the Council of Management then have to approve my rule amendment before it goes out to the membership on a one-man, one-vote basis. So... Even if you get the 100 signatures, the Council of Management have veto over whether it goes it, to the membership. They've got right of veto. Yeah, that's yeah. for a motion at, a, at an AGM. And I'm very, very surprised. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert by any means, but I'm very surprised the FCA mm. allowed that to go forward. That doesn't sound and it, like sorry, membership sorry, control. Kevin, it, it, it's the same with their rule amendment to call a special meeting. It's very similar. It's 500, 500 signatures. Each signatory has to pay £50 deposit. This is one of the big kickers that we yeah. said. They have to hold in surety, the LTDA com, hold that money, and yeah. it's only returned to members and, if it's successful. And then that one as well has to have the approval of the Council of Management before it goes forward to the members. Right. 
Chris. Just on the subject of needing the 500 signatures to call a special meeting, we are London taxi drivers. We drive around London. We don't all congregate in one place where you can put something on the wall and ask people if they want to get to, to get involved in something, sign sign a... Um, sign the paper on the wall. Sign the paper, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't do that. Yeah. To get 500 signatures is nigh on impossible. Yeah. And, and they did, the LTTA did suggest that when we collected above and beyond the signatures needed for the 106, that we could just be na- making them up. That's right. Yeah. They suggested but, that, didn't they, at some point? What they stated was the FCA hadn't let them see the names of the people who'd signed mm. for, the, for the 106, so they didn't know if they were all members. Bonafide members, yeah. But the FCA had checked, and they knew that. Yes. But they were still allowed to, to say that they... they they weren't satisfied that they were members. Why do you think they, they, they wanted to see the names, Chris? <laughs> so they could expel the, the, the next lot. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. John, sorry, carry on. Sorry, just just going back slightly to that sort of rule amendment where it needs comm approval. In in the General Secretary's letter to, to the members uh, prior to the meeting, in big bold letters right at the bottom, it says, we believe in one member, one vote, with no strings attached. Now, if if the right of veto can't be considered as strings attached... The biggest string. Absolutely. Yeah. Then I don't know what is. Yeah. It's interesting for LTDA members listening what they think about that. Yeah. I think that was hoodwinked. But what, what we've also... It's made it impossible, hasn't it, John? Yes, it has, it's yeah. It's made it impossible. But what, what we've also got to, got to acknowledge is that for the last three years during this process, we've we've um, every opportunity has been taken by the LTDA to put this group down, whether that be in the taxi magazine, uh, in LTDA emails, on social media. We've been called vociferous violent troublemakers we've been uh called a mob and we've been likened to trade union bullies trying to seize control of the association now that that's gone out to all members it's frustrating that we haven't got the means to to counter that argument we haven't got the database of members email addresses and we can't we can't say to them this this is actually what we're trying to do what we've got to try and think of now is how, how much did all that, pro, I'll, I'll call it propaganda, how much did all that propaganda over, over those years affect the actual result at the end? Because people, members, must have opened those envelopes with two sets of proposals and they've got one set of proposals from the elected council of management and they've got one set of proposals from a group of members and they're putting two and two together and say, hold on, this group of members... This must be the mob they're yeah. talking about. This must these must be the hooligans they're talking about. What box are you going to tick? And that comes back to Chris's point where the FCA accepted council of management rule amendments rather than an in, another yeah. set of individual members because the council of management was 10 people yeah. where we were 121 people, if not yes. more. Yeah. 
And do we know do we know that if they were like councillor management proposals, or was it just the executive? Was it the four the four members of the executive? This is why where it should be opened up. Like the, the com meetings, they they can redact stuff that's sensitive, but com minutes should be available to see what's discussed on the members' behalf at com meetings. You know, we're paying these people to go there. We should have access to what he said and what you know. If proposals, you know, back in the day when Anthony and Peter were running a branch, how them proposals were treated by the com. Let's turn to the actual results of the vote. Um, for for the LTDA members listening that don't know, or, or for anyone else listening, the the outcome of the vote was in favour of the LTDA's rule amendments on a percentage split of. 57% to the LTDA and, and 43% to, to the group of members which we represented. Now, obviously, that was a disappointment to, to us as a group, but we always came with the premise of leaving it down to the members to decide. We, Kev, we, we achieved our aim. Yes. We, we just wanted to put it out to the members and let them decide. The members decided. Yeah. And that, that's as much as we could do. Yes, yes, that was always the intention. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but there was quite a low turnout in the vote. A, a very low turnout, really, considering that there were over 10,000 members at the time. Why do we think that there was such a low turnout? And what can LTDA members do to make sure that that doesn't happen again, God forbid, that they do have to call a special meeting again? Personally... I was very disappointed with the turnout. We all know that it's quite difficult for people to be motivated by political trade issues, should we say. When Peter and I were in the branch, I think we had record amount of numbers, but we always understood that it's quite difficult for people who have got young families and they're just not, you know, they're just not interested in trade politics to come to a branch meeting and get involved. I always thought that after this with the FCA, once members saw what we had brought to them with our proposals, with the evidence, that they might actually just tick the box in favour of the membership. I've spoken to lots of members over the years who have said, you'll never change a thing, I'm just with them for the legal cover. Well, we did change it, and we gave you the opportunity to change it. Yeah. And I'll be a liar if I said that I wasn't bitterly disappointed with the turnout on the day. But doesn't that go back to our, they do seem to encourage apathy rather than participation? I'll just give you the example of last week's branch meeting. For those listening, that's in February, February 2023. February 2023. Yeah. The, the notice for the branch meeting was put in the magazine uh, five weeks prior to the meeting itself. It was a little advert just tucked away in a classic, within the classified ads, blink and you'd miss it saying, you know, there's a branch, central branch meeting, such and such. It was at 10 o'clock on, on a Monday morning. Uh, ridiculous time of day to have it. Uh, you had to pay for parking. But anyway, that, that's beside the point. The point is, there was a five-week period between the notice and the meeting where nothing else was put out. We had the one notice and that was it. And they had another two issues of Taxi Magazine in that intervening period, uh, the new branch chairman and branch secretary done a, done a fine job at the meeting. They they was fine, but they've both got 
the luxury of having full-page articles in the magazine. They didn't, they didn't mention it. They didn't encourage people to come along. Uh, you can have a look at the LTDA social media via Twitter. and so, Nothing was mentioned. There has been absolutely no encouragement whatsoever. And when I, when I approached that at the branch meeting, the, the answer we got was, well, we can't force people to come. No, you can't force people to come, but you can do more to encourage them. And nothing was done to encourage those people, which in, in now is five members attending. Five. Um, five members, whereas, as I said, four years ago, there was over 100 and growing. Yes. And wasn't, wasn't Steve McNamara's, um, one of his main narrative was to bring a new all-singing, all-inclusive, fully yeah. participated membership yeah. with yeah. his new set of rules? Yeah. Wasn't that the new way forward? Yeah. So obviously that's, that's fouled that's, at yeah. the get-go. So can I ask John a question? Because I, I'm expelled, I wasn't at the meeting. How big was the venue? Um, the venue was a, a Christian church hall, uh, probably holding, I think there was probably about 20 chairs set out. It probably could have held 100, 120, mm. but they had um, about 20 chairs, I'd say, Jim. So they weren't and, expecting more than 20 people to well, turn up. No. And, and we did say, well, because there's only this amount of people, why couldn't we have it in the new state-of-the-art building at Taxi House? And the answer we got there was... Well, we don't know how many p members are going to turn up. Well, yeah. if that's the case, that's that a good guess. If, if that's the case, if you don't know how many members are going to turn up, you, you've got to eye the Albert Hall because nine thousand members might decide to turn up. But as as the members are all taxi drivers driving taxis, it'd be handy to have a venue yeah. that might have had a bit of parking. Parking at a, at a sensible time of day. You know, that any day man out there would, would probably be working. The night men are still in bed. At least, going back to the four or five years ago at the branch meetings, they was at seven o'clock at night in a central location, free parking. Yeah. Uh, we got castigated because they was held in a pub. They wasn't held in a pub. They was held in a function hall above a pub. Um, and it, it came across to members like um, this was a glorified booze up. Yeah. Now I, I well, used that to. That was a suggestion. That was that. Yeah, that I'm was a suggestion. Sure yeah. Now no. I, I used to go there, and there was a table there, free tea and coffee. And if you wanted another drink, you could go down to the bar, and people could get a coke or an orange juice. I'd never saw. There yeah. was only one person I ever saw drink a pint at that branch, one of those branch meetings, and that was Wes Streeting when yeah. he turned up yeah. and gave a talk. Yeah. He had a pint. Other than that, we was all sit, sitting here with a cup of tea. So. You know, we've obviously lost the vote, but in the interim between losing the vote and branch meetings starting back up, which you attended in, in February 23, the two parties, ourselves and, and the COM, were issued with a report from the FCA. Obviously, all of us have, have read the report. And it has been released out to the membership as a whole um, in terms of not through the LTDA, but certainly we've shared it through social media. It's pretty fair to say that that report is incredibly damning on the LTDA's behaviour. Jim, can you maybe take us through a couple of the points that you'd like to draw out of yeah. that? 
just before I go into them, I'd like to say it's a shame that this report by the FCA wasn't part of the pack that was sent out to members prior to the vote. Yeah. If, if members would have been able to read, you know, the, the verdict now of the FCA, of how they saw the LTDA being run, I think the vote may well have gone another way. You know, I, I, throughout... I, I, it was almost like they did it back back to front, yeah. isn't it? You know, flicking through, you could you could stop at any sort of page and the words disenfranchised members, um, you know, purported not running the association in accordance to the rules. Everything, when you look through, they, they weren't doing things, the LTDA com weren't doing things the way they should they should have been. And you know, the, the worst one to me that sticks out when they try to manipulate, again, the rules, we keep coming back, how they continually and continually try to manipulate the rules for their own advantage to keep themselves in their position. The LTDA say, and nor in this instance was it lawful. Now, as an, if an ordinary member prior to an election, would have read that about candidates. Sorry, that, the FCA, not the LTDA said that. Yeah, yeah no, the, yeah, the FCA, sorry. Do you want to read the whole paragraph to yeah. that, actually? Yeah. Um, Taking steps to ensure meetings are safe and encouraging of participation is clearly a legitimate aim. We do not, however, share the view that the disenfranchisement of approximately 93% of a society's membership is a proportionate means of achieving that legitimate aim, and nor, in this instance, was it lawful. Now, that is damning. Yeah. That a council of management of a cooperative society acted, or I read that as a, they acted in an unlawful, you know, not in accordance with the law. Illegal. Illegal. Unlawful, yeah. What they did was illegal. And, and But we'd pointed out that, as far as we was concerned, what they'd done by closing... It, what they're talking about there is closing down the central branch, suspending the central branch. That's what they're talking about there. And we said that you can't do that. That's illegal. That's beyond your powers. They said no, and no, it isn't. And that's when we got the comment: if you don't like it, take it to your authorities. But that's where that's where that came from. Yeah. And I mean, we've been proved right. It was yeah. illegal. And they, it seemed to us you could see when you look back at the pattern of what their, of their whole actions. When you take their actions all together. They shut down the central branch, and then later on in that same year, they then tried to bring in another rule change, which would again entrench their positions and entrench their power and their control of the society. The pattern of it is to entrench, to, to entrench Solid their solidify. power and their control, solidify their control of the society, so that no other people, unless they're approved by them, can get through, can come through the branches, get their way onto the council of management get their way onto the executive. Yeah, and, and if, 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 just for reference for the, for the people listening, the branches were closed as the election for new branch officers was taking place where almost certainly people from outside of the, the Council of Management's pick would have, would have won. Yes, and therefore allowed more candidates to stand for the com elections and slowly but surely challenge the council of management at a committee level to to reduce their power 
No, so I'll, I'll just go back to what Jim was saying about the uh, the rule changes that the uh, central branch was suspended in June 2018. Yeah. And in July 2018, they tried to put through rule changes through the uh, suburban branch, which had 7% of the membership. And that's the reference in the in the quote there from yeah. Jim about that was just illegal, essentially. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the timing. Well, I'd just like to explain to people who, who might not be aware that in 2016, we had three branches. There always had to be a majority, so three was a good number. Now, for reasons we won't go into, in 2016, that was reduced to two branches. Two of the, two of the branches were merged into one. So now we have two branches. Now, bearing in mind that each branch has got two branch officers who, after a year, would be eligible to stand for election to the Council of Management, yeah? So in 2016, we had three branches, then reduced to two. Then in 2018, the central branch is suspended, and now we have one branch. Now, we've got Council of Management elections coming up this year, and they, there will probably be 12 candidates for 10 positions. Now, if you take it back to 2016, and those branches hadn't been merged and the central branch hadn't been suspended, that 12 people would probably be nearer 30 eligible candidates. Yeah. Now, that gives members a choice. Yeah. And when you think about it, in the last council management elections, one of the executive officers, who's on a, he's on a salary, we don't know what that salary is, but he's on a salary, he's on a pension, he's, on, he's got a company car, he's got health care, that particular executive officer out of the 12 candidates finished eighth, eighth out of 12. So the likelihood is if there was 30 people up for uh, election, he wouldn't finish in the top 10. Now, what would happen to that, to that individual? He'd be out of a job. He'd have to go back to his day job. But unfortunately, you know, if an MP gets elected for, five, for a five-year term and then he's ousted at the next election, he goes back to his day job. Yeah. It's called democracy. But yeah. the LTDA is called protectionism. Yeah. That's what I'd call it, yeah. Go, go, let's, let's go through this um, SCA port a little bit. Um, the FCA awarded costs to both parties or, 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 or decreed which party should pay for what. Um, we, we had a, a legal bill of... Forty-four thousand pounds. Yeah, forty-five grand. Yeah, forty-five thousand. Forty-five thousand before before VAT. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the LTDA put in a, a legal bill of eighty-five. I think it was yeah, yeah. yeah. almost double, just a little under double ours, including their in-house lawyers as well. And then there was an FCA legal bill for the cost of the meeting, which was I think was about twenty-five thousand pounds. Yeah, with VAT around that. Yeah. Yeah. So in total, we had. The, the entire legal process between our costs of 44, the LTDA costs of 85. The figure is 153,000. It was about 183,000, including VAT. VAT that, yeah. that was the total cost of the meeting, which had to be met by either the society. The three parties. Yeah. 
for the listeners, I mean, obviously we know the figures, but for the listeners, how much were the LTDA instructed to pay for that meeting? Uh, just over 174,000, 95% of the costs. 95%. And, and there was a reason for that, right? It says, in the, it says in the document that there's a reason why they've been told to pay for those costs. Well, I would say the main reason, if I can find it, let me, let me just have a look. It goes on to say about the conduct of uh, the LTDA, and it says, the need for a special meeting could have been avoided had the society conducted itself differently. So that's it in a nutshell. It, this never had to come to a special meeting. We, we should never have been able, been paying that sort of money for a special meeting. And, and let's, let's be clear for, for the record, all of our costs were met by us as individuals. Yes. We went into this process with our eyes wide open. We, we was told by the FCA that we could be liable for costs here. Yeah. Now, that could have run into, well, we could have been liable for the 183,000 at the end of the day if we'd have been proved wrong, but we wasn't, and we knew we wasn't. That shows you the strength about how far we was prepared to go to return exactly. the society back to its members. We had no personal gain in this. This, this was for the members, and we were willing to put our money on the line. Whereas the Council of Management put the members' money on the line. Yeah. Yes. And, and including and, us as members. And the council so management... We, paid twice. We, paid, we could have paid yeah. twice. And the council management suggested <laughs> on the apportionment of costs that all the costs be either met by us, the applicants, or the FCA, or a combination of the so two. So it was quite happy to see us yeah. bang in trouble yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, it shows the... Uh, Callousness. Yes. The callousness of, of, of that particular group of people to, to impose that. Yes. Or to seek to impose that. Yeah. On, on individuals within its own organisation that they're supposed to be protecting. Yeah. Yes. Because just going back to saying that if they'd have conducted themselves differently, the special meeting really wasn't necessary. Uh, the LTDA talk about wanting to change the rules of the society for the past three years, and they're blaming us as some sort of obstruction. Now, the original point of changing the rules came from the branch. We said we, we the rules need an, an overhaul and there is provision in the rules, again, for a rules review committee. And we said, right, we'll, we'll convene the rules review committee and overhaul the rule book. And that was rejected for some, for some reason. No, I think it, what happened was, I think they tried to make a member of, I think it was a member of the, of the branch chairman of the yellow branch and me at the time to be the people that sat on right. the committee. Right. And that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's for the members. But the point you're trying to make is yep. every aspect of what the com put in their piece, we try to do through the members itself. It could have been avoided. We, we did we did a, ask for mediation at one point. There were yeah. obviously, there was obviously a friction between the branch and, and the council management. We asked for mediation, and uh, they rejected that as well. Out of hand. So, yeah. so we, we, you know, we'd done all we could to not get as far as this special meeting. Yes. And every, every, everything was rejected. But I think as the report from the FCA says quite clearly, we were absolutely validated in not only bringing the meeting, but all of the motivations behind it. Yeah, 
And um, for, for, for LTDA members at the moment, it's something to, to bear in mind that if they seek to alter things that the Council of Management don't want, that they would not only have to pay the £25,000 surety, uh, the veto from the Council of Management, but that if you sought external legal action against them, they'd effectively want to, to pay all of it and potentially bankrupt you. And what you've got to ask yourself as well is the, F the FCA have um, apportioned the cost 95% to 5%. Now, throughout the whole process, they've tried to remain as neutral as possible, which they should, they should be anyway, the FCA. Now, to my, to my mind, is, those, is that apportionment of costs a reflection of their view of who was right and who was wrong in this process? And as I said, the LTDR paying 95%, we're paying five. I think it says a lot. So let's come to post-meeting. For those that are still in the LTDA, has anything really changed? Have you seen a sudden revolution of interaction? But I remember when we were going through the process, suddenly the Council of Management seem to want to engage with members on a weekly basis. And they were sending out emails left, right and centre. They were challenging everything that could be challenged, either through the courts or in association with others. How, what sort of a state is the LTDA in at the moment? Well, if you go by the last branch meeting held in February you know, 2023... It's back to where it was, with no engagement, no input from members. Five members turning up at a branch meeting of what the the com a com member at, who attended that meeting said. There's something like nine thousand members now in the LTDA. That was his quote. So out of that nine thousand, five members could be bothered to come and discuss issues within the trade. And put them issues to the you know the green badge, the central branch chairman and secretary. Did you say a member of the council of management turned up? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Anthony Street was there. Okay. How many times did a council of management member turn up to branch meetings when Anthony and Peter were? Um... Steve McNamara turned up in my tenure once. Other than that. I can't remember. Maybe Lloyd Baldwin turned up once. No, I don't even think he did, to be honest. Yeah. And that was after numerous invites. Um, yes. They do have to. They do have to only attend by by the rules. They do only have to attend one uh, branch meeting per year, and they normally um, go to the the branch election meeting. That's the one they normally. That's attend. what they clarify. But we're talking. They, they class that as a branch meeting. You know, we're talking about. You know, uh, in particular, a branch meeting where guests like West Streeting was there. Yeah. Big supporter of the cab trade at the time. Yeah. Uh, we had London Taxi PR. John Eve, didn't you? From we Dynamo. Had John Eve, Dynamo, Dynamo Electric Dynamo. Taxi. And London Taxi it, PR. I think it just shows you the way they dismissed that branch in, in a nutshell. But, but this is. Was just out of curiosity, Jim, was the branch meeting put online? Because I think that was one of the promises that they're going to start using. Yeah, well, all this technology. What we. During this like film process, I mean, we film. thought it was going to be. We thought 
you know, although we lost a vote, we thought, well, I, I thought, well, at least we're going to be dragging them in. There's going to be some change. You could go on to the LTDA website and see the minutes from the meeting, what was discussed, what was proposed by members, and then how what members proposed was brought to the comm, and we should be able to see the minutes and how that was discussed. Because to me, read when you read through guidance and everything else like that, I know I babble on about it a bit, but this is what it should be. It comes from the floor up. The members' concerns are brought to the branch. The branch chairman brings it to the comm. The comm discuss it, and we get an answer to the concerns of what our concerns are as working taxi drivers. Uh, it, it just seems... I think what we, I meant, Jim, sorry to interrupt, it, what I meant is is that did they use a facility where people at home could watch the meeting? No, it's just back to, as John said earlier, it's stuck in a, in a, a, in a church hall. One of the insinuations I got from when we were going through the process about it being held in a pub was that it were, having a, a meeting in a pub wouldn't suit all members of the LTDA, the current makeup. You know, I think Mr. McNamara was sort of getting at, you know, we've got Muslim, um, you know, a Muslim element within the group now, so they wouldn't feel comfortable. This is what you were kind of sort of weaned it from what he was saying, but going into a public house. Well, they've decided to hold it in the Christian church hall. Now, I don't know if that upsets anyone because I haven't asked, but I would think that they, it would. At the you pub know, and the it, Christian uh, church. Uh, yeah. You know, they've gone from, he's been moaning a pub and now you go to the Christian church. But it is an old, an old hall, few old chairs thrown out, a desk, same old thing. No, no online facility, which is what we thought was going to be happening. Um, and as John said, badly advertised. It's just normal service resumed. That's the way, that's the way I see it. Yeah. To be fair, those earlier branch meetings were never held in a pub. They were held in a room above a pub. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. going back to Kevin's question, because I'm not a member, so I don't know, are, are you getting emails, like regular emails from the association's members? No, in the last... I, I think this this year, we're in February now, I think we've had one member's email regarding the TFL six-point thing. Yeah. And going back to it, Within that email, they could have put a little paragraph at the, at the bottom that there is a central branch meeting, such and such a date. All members are invited, and we, you know, really, we'd encourage you to come along and support your association. But not in your taxi. Yeah. The whole process of getting members engaged and reinvigorated, and you know, getting involved in the LTDA just doesn't seem to be there. The only time they were pulling, you know, going to the members was in the run up to the vote. Members, it should be a vibrant organisation. You know, again, we're fighting a bit like when we got involved because you saw Uber coming. We've got this aspect now of road closures and six points and you're out. What are the LTDA doing about it? We don't know. At the AGM, Mr McNamara, the General Secretary, announced that they'd be mounting no major legal challenges. Really? Now, as a member, yeah. As a member, that dis I felt so disheartened. Well, what... What are we going to do? Just let them walk all over us again. Mm. The funds should be in place. It's a big talking point. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. You know, to, just to sit back and take it. Nothing. Fighting fires all the time. Rather than going to the source of the fire and trying to put it out, they're fighting fires. Yeah, absolutely. And just, just, going, just going on what Jim said there about um, on the lead up to the, to the special meeting, 
uh, they was engaging all the time with members. Since since the special meeting, there's been nothing. There's not even been an announcement of the result. Members don't who, who took part in the the ballot don't even know the result. All, all that that was um, put in one of the. I'll just read this bit out to you. In one of the taxi magazines following it, it just says. Following on from the debacle that was the recent FCA members' raw amendment ballot, because they wanted a down total yeah. total disrespect for the process, and then it goes on to say um, that they're asking Green Badge LTDA members that would like to get more involved in the association and become a branch officer to register their interest. Did so, they tell the members how much it cost them? Uh, no, it was in the accounts, but. As, well, so uh, the, as we know, the accounts are not sent out to members. Yeah, exactly. They're not even on on the uh, members. Less is more. Webs, members part of the website. But just going on from that, he's asking therefore um, if you want to become a branch officer to e email in. The branch officers now have to put some kind of a CV, if you like, forward, and you have to be approved before you go out. To the members to be voted on to become uh, so even that branch aspect chairman. of it, even that aspect of it is now controlled by the controlled. council of management yeah. and not the members. Yeah. Yeah. It's an element of control for everything before it gets to the members. Yes. What would you say to members listening to this about the state of the LTDA, and you know, do do you have a, a something that you'd like to say to them? Well, I, I don't know what to say because we give we give the members the opportunity to vote, and they voted the way they did, and unfortunately we've got to accept the result of it. But now on the other side, when we've just heard from from Jimmy and yourself that actually things haven't got better, there isn't more member participation, there isn't the encouragement that they've said in their correspondence to members, no strings attached. It's, un it's, it's an unworkable system now. It's an unworkable system. What do you think LTDA members should do about it? I think they should approach the FCA. <laughs> <laughs> what can members do? It's, it's tied up. The, the system yes. is tied up. Yeah. And we, get, we go back to the, the title, Capture. Capture. Yeah. It's all capture. Throughout guidance and legislation, capture is warned about. And the FCA know that. The, the mutuals team up at the FCA, some of them, they're very clued up cooperative lawyers. Mm. They know mm. they know what what the way things should be. They can see it's captured. But they don't I don't think they want to you know, they can't say it out loud probably. But when you look, seventeen hundred people voted out of what, eight and a half thousand, something like twenty percent. That should ring alarm bells up at the FCA. Yeah. Five members turning up at a branch meeting should ring alarm bells. The vote when when it comes to voting in the executive, uh, the council of management, small numbers. All this stuff should be ringing alarm bells with the FCA. It's the Co-ops UK who are our sponsoring body, an apex body for co-ops and guidance put out what they call uh, um, key performance indicators. And one of the things is low, low election turnout, low votes. And all, all this stuff, 
is happening at the LTDA. And yet the FCA seem be, to be prepared to let it just carry on as normal. They've done their job. It looks like they've done their job and washed their hands. Yeah, but we can't lay all of the responsibility at the FCA's door. No, but I, I think members need to accept that if they don't take part, even in the smallest way possible, this is what's happening and be made aware of that. Us five sitting here probably know the financial state of the LTDA. We do, and we've now, discussed Now, can we it go out and say that? We'd probably be pulled over the coals and up, up at, at New Taxi House and saying, why are you telling members this? But, you know, it's a matter of public knowledge. Yeah. The money is running out. Why did Mr McNamara say there's no... They're not going to uh, launch any major legal challenges? Is it because of the financial state, the precariousness of the finances? Mm. Now, members... Will they get involved when it's all too late? When the ship has sunk? Well, you know, members listening out there, we all encourage you to get a copy of the accounts, as is your yeah. right as a member, because it's your association, right? It's not the Council of Management Association. Just going back with Jimmy again, we've been criticised for asking pertinent questions uh, to the Council pertaining to the accounts, especially the £1 million plus loss every year. And it comes across that we shouldn't be asking these questions. Whereas if you look at Co-ops UK, I'll just read a, a thing out of the guidance once again. It says, members have clearly defined democratic rights and responsibilities and should collectively and proactively hold the ball to account for the performance and success of the cooperative. Now, isn't that what we're doing by asking these questions, holding them to account? Without doubt. I mean, you know, we, we've discussed this plenty. Really. Uh, well, I think a lot of the problems with co-ops in general is that the people that are at the top are entrusted to be the, be the regulators of their own organisations. But our question has always been what happens when, as is with the LTDA, big money's involved does it become a business? Does that sort of drive to actually do things for the trade go away with you protecting that job? Is there a conflict of interest there? There absolutely is, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. There absolutely is, and, and that is one of the things that I would look at if I was gonna change something. That Sometimes these people, yeah. that the directors or the council of management just can't be trusted because some, how long has some been there? Twenty five years. Twenty five, thirty, thirty five. I years. think that tells you its own story. I think, so. I think if you add it all up, they've been up there one hundred and fifty plus years. But but there's no opportunity for change because, as I said, come the, the next elections in a month or two time, there's going to be those twelve candidates. Two two people are going to miss out on the ten positions. You I, know, I, that that's, that that can't be right. Well, that that I think our special meeting, just to summarise on that, from my view, that was the chance. That was the biggest chance for change. That was members' chance to take control back of their society, whether they're interest, interested in democracy or not. At some stage, they might be. That was their opportunity to control their organisation. That, yeah. that was their Agreed. opportunity. And I'm, I'm afraid that that opportunity is gone. And I, I would be wary about the state of the association's finances. Mm. And I'd like to see where they are in two, three, four years' time. Because it can't, it, they definitely can't carry on as they are. Gentlemen, we're getting close to the end. I'd just like to go round round the table here 
and just ask you one other question, really. And, and that question really is, Chris, would you ever join another co-op after your experience? I don't think I would. Um, it's, it's, it's apparent now that there is no regulation of cooperatives. You have a registrar who registers them. Uh, co-ops are just, in my opinion, vulnerable to being uh, captured by an unscrupulous council who can entrench their position, asset strip, do what they like. I, I would not join a co-op. Jimmy? No. Um, again, you know, learning through this process, it, it's been a learning curve. You know, coming in, we've discovered the co-ops, what it means, who regulates them, who registered, what a reg regulation, registrar, what's it all about, and how it can how it can all be manipulated and used to entrench. We keep and I'll keep using that word entrench because that's what to me it appears has happened is that those in charge have saw people becoming who want to become engaged and involved in society they through various through uh, manipulating the rules they've pulled up the drawbridge and are keeping it all to themselves you know there's a big discussion out in the wider world you know between capitalism socialism people are looking for a third way you know this morning on the radio there was a discussion about it and you know, the cooperatives is is a way members owned you know for the members by the members but the danger is some members get involved in because they can smell a pound note. And I'll be honest with you, they can smell a pound note. We've seen it with something very close to our arts as well, another organisation that was supposed to be for the members, by the members and controlled by the members. People got in, manipulated that, and now certain individuals are running it for themselves. And this, this is what, this is the danger of the, to me, I might be reading it wrong, but if you look at the co-op model, it can be manipulated by and captured by some people. You know, in in you read journals, cooperative journals. Some people call it an oligarchy. You know, ruled by the few, which is what to me it looks like. It's rule. Some of them members have been up there 15, 25, 30 years, and they've been hand chosen to carry on. It's their thing. Thank you. John, would you ever join a co-op again? I, I'm 50-50, if, if I'm honest. Um, my personal experience through this process hasn't been a particularly positive one, but I do support all the principles and the ethos behind the cooperative movement. Uh, so if I was to join another co-op I personally would need assurances that there were rules in place to ensure democratic member control and I would need assurances that the elected board charged with running the co-op on a day-to-day -day basis follow those rules and it is not just another business enterprise, if you like, masquerading as a co-op, which is, unfortunately, I think, what we got now. So the short answer is, yes, I probably would join another co-op, but I would need certain assurances. Anthony? Well, I find it very difficult to follow in off the back of that. I do think that there's people with good intentions involved in the co-op movement. 
um, and I will give a mention to Anthony Collins. Um, yeah. We have met some good people along the way. Mm, definitely. And I think we've been really unlucky in this trade to come up against this particular co-op and the way it's treated its members. But I am concerned with the state of play. As John said, it's quite easy even to create your own cooperative and use it as a vehicle to actually, let's be blunt, con members yeah. as a means to an end. It's quite easy to, to, to do that. I think there needs to be more regulation. But I know there will be people working on that in the co-op world. And uh, I'd like to you know, look in the future and see that things have changed in the co-op world. So I'm probably the same as, as John. I'm 50-50 I'm, I'm with that. I do, I do believe in the principles of a co-op, but I'd be very cautious of which one I join again. So now Anthony's just mentioned Anthony Collins there. Um, they have done a fantastic job for us. And the thing about Anthony Collins is they encouraged us to, to pursue it, pursue this action. And it wasn't necessarily just for us. It's because they thought it was a big thing for the wider cooperative movement. Yeah. This, this capture thing, if we could get that story out there, then this was a big story and they wanted to be part of it and they wanted to solve it for us. Yes, well said. My own personal view is, is probably very similar to yourself, John and Anthony. I think, I think for me, the co-op movement needs to be very careful how they proceed in the future and there, there should be much stricter regulation and an ability by the FCA or whoever the governing body is to cast a, a, a much stronger eye over the co-op movement because what it's clearly demonstrated to us through, through our experience, in, in my opinion, it's all about the intention of the people who are starting co-ops and, and trying to run them I think we we were faced with people who just did not have in any capacity and at any time the best interests at heart for the co-op movement. I think their motives were all self-serving. I still believe that today. Just if I can just come in, like the reporting system and how they how, sorry how they scrutinise if a co-op is being run in accordance with, you know, the, the principles and there is democratic member control. You know, when, when a co-op has to fill in their annual returns, they fill in a form called an AR30. Now, in there, you get about four lines to explain how do members democratically control the society. Four lines. Now, our personal, our co-op, the LGDA, for the last four years, they've said the same thing. We hold an election every three years and there's an AGM. Now, no, it, to me, it, it, it's not been scrutinised. Yeah, there's no oversight. There's no oversight. Yeah. Yeah. It goes up to the the registrar. They put it on the website. No one seems to look at it think, well, is that all? how else do members control the society? Well, it's, it's yeah. lack of scrutiny, lack of oversight, as you said. Because you have, you know, financially you have an auditor, right, to go around pretty much any major company but there doesn't seem to be an auditor of, of sorts to oversee the rules 
of a particular Well, that was one of the things we might, I thought we might come on to, was that to improve the situation would have been that in order to operate as a co-op, you would, A, need to be part of uh, a sponsoring body such as Co-ops UK, which the LTDA aren't. For some reason, the LTDA won't sign up to an outside scrutineer. Well, that was one of our proposals. Yeah, yeah. That's to make really sure we had a, a governing body yeah. over us, yeah. And so if you're not there, then at least the FCA should insist on you sign up to an outside democratic governance yeah. audit. A third party, at, yeah, if you like. every yeah. three or five years. Yeah. And to, you've got to prove to them how you're, you are operating as a cooperative. Hopefully with what we've done and with the work that people like Anthony Collins will carry on doing, that they will see those changes within the movement as a whole because I think we all agree that the the intention of co-ops is a good intention, yeah. you know, um, but they do need a, a much better regulated system, I, I feel. John, finally. Uh, yeah, sorry, Kev. I, I just think what, what you said there, I think the FCA, the FCA have recognised that now. Yes that they need to better oversight because in this um in this article with uh from co-op news by um they interviewed Ian Adderley of the FCA and uh he just said I'll just read it quickly the FCA has recently reviewed its strategy and over the next 3 years will be focusing on maintaining trust in mutuals by operating a system of oversight to assess and drive compliance and he goes on to specifically mention the LTDA special meeting, which was the first time in in memory that, that they've had to take that kind of action. But that shows our le that shows our level of achievement, yeah. and I think yeah. that's one thing that we should mention. And, and I'd like to thank the rest of the applicants as well for actually it was a big achievement. Not many things are achieved in the taxi trade, and now personally, for us, it was an achievement in itself just to get it to the members. We'd done our job yeah. and unfortunately wasn't be able, you know, able to get it beyond the line that we wanted it to, but I think we deserve massive credit for actually getting it spoken about in articles like you've just read, John. Um, so, yeah. As the old adage thanks. goes, you can lead a horse to water, yes. but you can't make it drink. I think that's a good place to leave it. Yes. I just want to thank all of you individually for, for coming here and, and sharing your experience. Um, we would also like to point out that should any... LTDA member seek to share or, or be interested in anything that we've discussed. We are contactable through various chains like social media and through this podcast where we can share all of the information that we've collected and that we, we hope that LTDA members in the future impose, and I do mean the word impose, proper scrutiny to whoever's running the LTDA because as the largest trade organisation it's vital that that machine runs as best as it can for not only the LTDA members but the taxi trade as a whole. So thank you very much Anthony, Thanks. Thank you. John, Jimmy and Chris. My name's Kevin Paul, this has been Captured Society story about how a group of London black taxi drivers took on an organisation that had been captured by a select few. Thank you very much.